Welcome to the Track Quest Podcast. This is James Orr. And Bob Borland. What up, Bob? How are you doing, buddy? Good, man. How you doing? Man, I'm I'm stoked uh, to finally get another podcast uh, out to the folks. I, I guess we need to apologize for not getting one out for a couple weeks, but September's a busy month and we just didn't really have our ducks in a row and elk hunting, um, yeah, it's it uh, pulled us away from the podcast, but we're back and we're going to try to stay more consistent for you folks once a week. Yeah, we'll get we'll get better at getting the the future ones ready to go. We thought we had it, but yeah, we're, we're working on the technology stuff. Yeah, uh, I guess that's why we hunt with trad bows because we suck at technology. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we should start the podcast out today. Um, we've got a giveaway from Paul Medell, uh, the Elk Nut at Elk Nut Outdoors. Uh, thank you so much, Paul, for donating all this stuff to help promote the podcast. We really appreciate it. And we ran a uh, giveaway on Instagram and Facebook, and... We went ahead and took all the names from that. I know there's like some kind of app you can use, which we haven't figured out yet. So <laughs> we're going to do this uh, old school, uh, I guess the traditional way. Um, so I, I went ahead and wrote down all the names from Instagram and Facebook page. And what we're going to do is we're just going to shake them up here in this box and I'm going to just reach in here and pull out the winner. And that, uh, whoever wins this package, it's an awesome package. It's a elk nut, chuckler, bugle tube, his latest and greatest, uh, his one through four DVD set, how to use the mouth read and elk calls DVD, the playbook. And whoever we draw out will be shipping that package to them. Uh, it's a pretty expensive package. Um, it should be super useful for whoever gets it. I know I have all that stuff myself, and it is really awesome. It's super good information, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. And we've got an extra, a smaller package with a playbook and some DVDs that we want to give away. So what I decided I'm going to do is I wrote down the names of all you guys that liked the uh, promotion there, and we had you guys uh, plug one of your friends. And so we're going to go ahead and give the smaller package, which is a playbook and some DVDs, to the person you tagged in your post. So I wrote down all the names and the people they tagged, and where it came from Instagram or Facebook and all the papers are in this uh, little box here. I'm going to shake it up and I'm going to go ahead and just reach in here. Should have a drum roll or something. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to open this up and the winner is winner, winner elk dinner. It is never lost in the woods and elk newbie is who he tagged in the post so never lost in the woods i'm gonna go ahead and send you a private message on instagram and your uh buddy elk newbie 
I'm going to send you a message also, and you guys are the winners of the Elknut Outdoors DVDs and uh, the promotion we ran. So we thank you guys so much for listening, and we hope you guys enjoy this uh, Elknut swag. We'll get it uh, out to you guys this week. Uh, so thank you very much. Right on. Uh, thanks again, Paul Medell for uh, donating uh, this big box of stuff. He sent a lot of really nice stuff, and I, I, I think these guys are going to be super stoked to get it. Yeah, Paul is the man. Yeah, He's out uh, doing we, it right now, I'm sure, still. Yeah, I, 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 our season ends on Sunday, um, but Idaho goes through the end of September. So we know as we speak, uh, Paul's out there with the Elk Nut crew grinding, and we're going to get him back on here um, the beginning of October – and get the whole lowdown of the 2017 Elk Nut Crew uh, elk hunting adventures. So th- I look forward to that. Yeah. Looks like Paul Jr. already got one with his longbow. It looked like an Idaho. and No, he got the, that. That's his Wyoming bull, I think. No, I think the Wyoming one is was that big one he killed. I've been looking on Instagram oh, a little bit. Yeah. Oh, so, he, so he's got an Idaho bull down and a Wyoming bull down. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. That's that's super awesome. Yeah, those guys uh those guys are killers, that's for sure. Um I'm stoked to see that they're hunting with trad gear again. That's really cool. Yep, good guys. Yeah, so speaking of Elk Adventures, uh we've been out there making our own. Uh why don't you uh you know tell me a little bit about how your elk season got started this year and you know, give us uh the, the lowdown. Well, it was hot. <laughs> Here in Oregon, you know, but uh, man, hot, f- hot, hot and smoky, right? Oh yeah, it was pretty miserable the first two two weeks. Actually, a little better than two weeks. And where I'm hunting over in the central part of the state, it's pretty pretty dry. I'm kind of hunting that sage and pinion country, and man, it was it was it's, miserable. It's a hundred and some degrees every day, midday, and. Now, did you guys have the smoke real bad? Yeah, off and on. I I don't think it was as bad as where you were. There was a few days it was pretty bad and it'd block out the sun, you know. But uh, just the heat and there's no shade. I mean, it was rough. It didn't even feel like you should be hunting, you know. But we grounded out, you know. Um, We sat water a lot. The evenings I'd sit water and the mornings I'd chase around mule deer. And uh, My nephew ended up getting a pretty nice bull. He's 16 this year and he's rifle hunted previously. So this was his first year bow hunting. So it was pretty awesome. I got to spend a lot of time hunting with him and he ended up getting a nice bull. He he was, uh, sitting water with my dad, with his grandpa the first night and bull came in and he shot it. So, and yep. he had a it's a little six by six, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a six by seven. Yeah. Oh, six by seven. So he's he's hooked for life. Yeah, man, he is already. You know, and then then after we both killed our elk, we were out. You know, we'd be hunting mule deer, and he's already talking about how he, you know, when he starts going to college, he can go for the whole month, and he's just trying to figure out which job he can get to where he can hunt the whole season. And oh man, he's hooked for sure. Oh, that's super awesome. Yeah. That, that, that must have been really nice spending the time with him and, and uh, introducing him to archery hunting. Yeah, we got we got a few good mule deer stocks in, too. He, he ended up, he was shooting a compound this year, but he missed 
he missed two really nice bucks he shot over him and so pretty funny and he you know we we did the whole stock you know he, he'd never really done it before rifle hunting so you know we'd take her take the sh- our shoes off and you know sneak in on them and and so i was actually back in town i came back to hang out with my daughter for a couple of days and and uh he was up there with my dad and they went out one night and they spotted some deer so and they were just uh glassing from the truck so holden took off and hiked up the mountain after him and and uh that was kind of his first big stock solo. He didn't come back for a long time. My dad was getting kind of worried. Like, crap, you know, I should go look for him. And finally he comes tiptoeing back to the truck with no shoes on. And uh, he'd taken his shoes off to go after the deer, and he couldn't remember where he put them. So, and they went back and looked. They never found him. <laughs> so, so, yeah, he's got a new nickname in camp for sure. So, yeah, it was good. That was good. I got to spend some time with him. And then um, – I also, my brother, um, he's still trying to get one, but called in a couple bulls for him. He's been, he's been so close so many times sitting water. He's had, he had a bull come in the other night with one cow stood behind the only tree bugled. The cow came out like he just, you know, he's just had been so close, um, so I'm hoping he gets one. And then my other buddy, Steven, I hunt with, he had a really short time this year. He's super busy on his job. So he only had, he hunted Labor Day weekend and then he came back over for four days. And the last night he was there, I was able to, we were able to kind of slip in on some elk and get below them and give them a few cow calls. And they kind of came down to us a little, nice little three point bowl. And, and he shot that one his last night there so we packed meat all night it was awesome that is awesome so what was your opinion where you were hunting as far as the rut activity overall from beginning to end well it's pretty slow you know that hot weather those elk they just i don't know how they make it with that much how big they are and their hide you know i was sweating like crazy i killed my bull in shorts and a t-shirt so i seen that yeah obviously they obviously weren't super active but they still i mean they still get the feeling you know i think the first bull and i i'm hunting pretty open country the first bull i had bugle was on the actually it was the night before i killed my bull so the sixth i was sitting in a tree stand and um i kind of hike up through this draw to get there and so i can see like four or five hundred yards down this draw it's all open in the bottom and he came out bugled and raked a tree you know he's all by himself so and and where i hunt it's it's super different like you you got to be careful when to call you know because because it's so open yeah they'll look over there and be like hey there's nothing there you know so so i he was far enough away and there was one draw between us and i knew he was gonna you know didn't know whether he's gonna come up that draw or come to me so when he started walking and he got to that other draw i gave him a couple little cow calls and he answered me and it looked like he was heading my way. Well, then he went around a little bend and he was taking, taking a little bit of time. And I was like, man, I was kind of worried he was going up that next draw, but I didn't want to call again. But so I waited, I waited, I got, I was probably too impatient. So I turned but I turned to call behind me where there was some trees thinking maybe I could point it that way. And he'd think they were up there. So I 
turned, I cow called two times, and I turned around and looked back, and there he was. He came around the corner in the time that I turned. And he Jeez. and he looked, I mean he was still 150 yards away. And so he you know, he's kind of looking. He, he didn't see me, but he's looking up there. He doesn't see anybody. Still come. Here he comes. Well, he gets a hundred yards. We're up over the little berm where there's a little pond, you know, and he gets like a hundred yards and he looks up in the little valley. I was sitting in, you know, and he's just like, Hmm, I don't see any elk. And so then he just slowly walked around me in the trees at like 60 yards, you know, and just vanished out of my dreams so that was the first bugling i heard so the next morning i decided well i'm gonna hunt elk instead of deer right and that's when i killed my bull so and well, give us the full story okay on the so, bull. so i i headed to a part of the property we hunt that we hadn't been in probably five or six days and I hike back up in there and it's a couple miles and I get back up in there and all the sign is old and it was just, it was a crisp, you know, just no wind, perfect morning and everything's just silent, you know, and it's hot, all the signs old. And I'm thinking, man, you know, I should have went, should have went the other way. I should have went the other way. I hike up by some wallows and now I'm like, now I'm like, well, I got to go up over. I'll go up over on this next ridge and see if I hear anything. And I hike all the way up there, nothing. And by now it's like 8.30 or something. It's so hot and smoky. The sun is just, you can kind of see it. I took a couple pictures of it. It's just like a little blob, you know. It's just, you can barely make it through the smoke. Yeah, and it was just miserable. And I decided, I was like, well, nothing's talking. And I'd been up this ridge up on top it gets real thick with a bunch of mahoganies and there's this ridge it winds out like quite a ways and i'd hiked up it looking for my nephew's bull you know the week previous and there's just beds you know all old beds in there the wind was coming up the hill so i thought well i'll just sneak down through there and maybe i can surprise maybe there's one bed in there and i can you know get him fired up or surprise him and he'll, you know get up come at me or whatever. So I took my time and I just kind of snacked and there's a really nice trail through all this thick stuff too. Now, when you say thick stuff, is it, is it mahogany or it's mahogany? It's all mahogany. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and so I'm, I'm working my way through the mahogany and I set up a couple times and called and, and I just set up, there was kind of like a dead little snag mahogany right in the trail. So I thought, well, I'll rake for a while. So I, I had an arrow knocked and I rake was raking the tree a little bit, you know, and then I, I, I bugled, you know, nothing. I cow called and I just kind of screwed around and I'm like, well, eh, there's nothing here, you know? So, but I still had my arrow knocked and I, the trail was coming down into this little saddle. So I, I literally, from where I had just set up kind of and called, I walked maybe four or five steps down around this this next kind of little patch of thick stuff in the trail and as i come around it i'm looking at a little saddle on this ridge and and that bull was laying there he was laying there the whole time and he just stood up and as he stood up i was like you know it's a bull so i I got ready i drew back kind of right as he's standing and he 
And when he stood up, those mahoganies are all kind of low, like his head kind of got into the trees a little bit, you know, and that he hesitated just enough that it gave me a shot, you know, and I just, I anchored, I picked a spot and man, my arrow just went, you know, it was magic just right where I was aiming. It was so awesome. Just, and it went, just blew right through it and he took off running and I cow called and stopped him. And then, uh, you got to pass through. Yeah. Yeah. How how many yards? Uh, 18 yards, 18 yards. And, and I heard him kind of, I heard him stop. So, and I called a few more times and then I heard him go down a couple of breaths and that was over. And so I still waited a little bit and I went over and those pictures I put on our Instagram page. That's, that's how my bowl or how my arrow ended up. I mean, it just, it went clean through them and landed in the mahogany brush behind it, just sitting there. And so I was like, sweet, you know, I'll take a couple pictures of the arrow and while I'm looking, if you, if you take that picture and you zoom in, you can look through a little hole in the bush there and you can see the belly of my elk laying there. I mean, he went maybe 30 yards. And so oh man, I'm like, perfect. No tracking needed. And, uh, that was kind of it. And I was, I was by myself ever, you know, everybody else had been out of camp for three or four days and, and I'm like, all right, now this is great. You know, it's 90 degrees. Not that it's that far to pack it, but just get a little worried. So I had a pretty hectic, I think it took me four hours to cut them up and I made, only had to make two trips. Um, and I got them all out. I mean, there wasn't even a breeze, you know, I quartered it up, I hung it and a little mahogany bush. And I'm just like, man, why can't there be a little bit of a breeze? Nothing. Um, so I, I hauled, butt. I got it back to camp and I boned it out and put it in coolers. Um, and by the time I got to camp, you know, I'd text, uh, my dad, and my brother, and they were over here in town, which is about a four, four and a half hour drive. And I told them both, I said, Hey, I'll probably be done by the time you get here. But they got to camp about the time I did. So it was good. They helped me cut it all up, get it on ice. And, uh, and yeah, that was the seventh and I was seventh. Done. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. Trophy yeah. three point bull. <laughs> oh, that's a nice uh, bull. I, I, I see we we haven't had a chance to talk that much because we've been you know just hunting and grinding and I thought that you'd actually killed that bull over water out of your tree stand I didn't realize that it was a call in on the ground. No, the the funny well he wasn't he didn't come in he was just bedded on that ridge I just oh okay I just came up on him you know and he thought I was elk you know he thought I was some elk yeah. and so he was just chilling. Um, but the funny thing is I had sat there's a water hole. Oh, I don't know, probably three quarters of a mile from there down in a canyon that we have a tree stand. Actually, the same one my nephew killed his bull on. And um, I checked, there's a camera on it, and I checked it, I don't know, two days before that. And there was a that little bull that still kind of had velvet on, on that camera. And I told myself, I said, well, okay, don't don't sit there because I'll shoot that thing if it comes in, right? And I usually try yeah. to hold out. And, uh and then it stood up right in front of me and I, you know, I couldn't help myself. So, but it's good. It was good to, good to be done early and just get to help everybody else out. And, and I got to come home, you know, I brought my daughter up for a few days and we went, you know, fished the lake and went glassing for deer. So all that was good stuff. And you, you did quite a bit of mule deer hunting too, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, you know, it's, man, that country's tough for, for the deer. It's all, there's not really 
a good place to glass all of it. What what I ended up doing is I started going after them because where I'd hunted them in Nevada and stuff, I'd glass them, let get, get them bedded down. And then in the afternoon, you'd get a good wind that would kick up and kind of cover your sound in a steady wind and was able to slip in there and, and you know, kill them. But over there, there's never really a good steady wind because it's such broken up country. It's really, it's, it's all ridges about the same height and then they just drop into these really steep draws. So you can't glass a whole ridge, you know what I'm saying? You got to get within right. a couple hundred yards of every little draw. And so I started this year, the, the two shots my nephew got, we, we started just going after them when they were feeding and it, it actually worked out pretty good. Um, you're, you're rushed a little bit more, but at least, uh, you know, they're up feeding, they're making a little bit of noise. It seemed like, seemed like that's the way to do it. So I, I did end up sneaking up on one bedded down and uh, man, he was a he was a really nice, he was only a three point, but he was probably 25, 26 inches wide, real heavy. And I got within about 30, <clears throat> 32 yards or so. And he's bedded in this buck brush. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to get closer. You know, I want to, I'm going to get right up to him. And, and I think I got 19 yards and I was literally almost in the clear. Like I had this bush I was trying to get to, and I was just going to like kneel down behind this last bush and my feathers on my arrows rubbed again in some, in some grass right next to me. And it just made a little bit of noise. And he, his head, he was facing down the hill away from me and he just turned right around and looked and I thought, Oh, and I was kind of halfway hunched down, you know, I was trying not to move and I, I held on for as long as I could. And finally I had to kneel down, you know, I was kind of, and it just a, such an awkward position. And I, so I kind of melted to the ground and I thought I still had it. And then, you know, a minute later, he just stood up and looked at me and boom, off they went. So I had some good stocks, but no shots. Well, uh, sounds like he had a good time anyway. For sure. Yeah. Always a good time. Well, um, my season started off over here, uh, on the Oregon coast and, in the jungle and like we've we usually you know there's a lot of fires you know in the summertime but not so much on the on the wet side you know on the coastal side usually we have a fire too but it seemed like all of western oregon was on fire and we were just absolutely i've never experienced being smoked in like that the smoke was just here for weeks and it was normally when you're hunting September, even the end of August, where I live, I'm like 20 miles from the ocean. You get this uh, coastal influence and you, you have this uh, morning uh, coastal fog sitting in and everything's wet and you're usually going to wear like rain pants in the morning because you're pushing through wet ferns and all this wet brush. Um, I never experienced that once this year. The coastal fog was never there. It was just smoky and very dry, and they were closing down fire danger. They were closing down like all kinds of land. 
even a lot of the public land was getting closed. And even the the guys that were paying for permits on some of the private timber company lands there, they eventually closed that stuff down. And it really kind of pushed all the hunters into the state and federal lands that were available to hunt. And so it seemed rather crowded. I bet. Yeah, it created a lot of pressure. And it seemed like the elk rut was just not really ever happening. Um, I really didn't see a lot of rubs. Uh, a lot of the elk wallows that I know about were not being hit at all. There was no sign. Um, so that was kind of frustrating. Um, but I did get to hunt with some good friends. I had my uh, buddy Chad Brown. Uh, he came down for the first uh, opening weekend. And we had a blast. Uh, we, we got into elk. I mean, opening morning as the sun was rising, uh, we were at this big clear cut that I usually see elk in. And we had a little bull right underneath us, right out the gate. We were moving in and stalking in on this uh, four-point bull. And we we were in some really thick reap rod and blackberry bushes and the straight up and down, deep and steep, overgrown clear cut. And we got, I think, within 30 or 40 yards of him. And he was raking a tree and we were trying to figure out a way to move in on him. And the wind was going every which way. And he ended up getting our wind and, and blew out. But I mean, within the first uh, few minutes of our elk season, we were on elk, which, you know, that's always great. And I think we, I mean, we pretty much seen elk the whole time. We've seen a lot of uh, elk out in cuts that we really couldn't get to because the brush would be like head high. Um, we've seen a absolute giant, huge six by seven Roosevelt bull standing on the main line. Uh, and he dipped off and never, we never seen him again. Were the uh, elk you seen? Did they have were the bulls with cows, or were you seeing bulls by themselves and cows by themselves, we, or were they herded up? We were seeing young bulls with cows and even spikes with cows, which was a bad sign. Yeah, and uh, that that big bull, I think he was by himself. Um, we went down into a, a honey hole of mine that. Uh, that uh, I've taken an elk, taken a bull out of, and my uh, mom has taken a bull with a rifle out of, and it's usually like a you know one of my go-to spots, and we hunted in there, and we got on some elk sign, and we were we were working our way to them, and we'd been uh, cow calling and bugling, and you know no answers, and I got the woof of elk, and Chad was like, "Do you smell that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you know I smell the elk." And I put the bugle up to do a little locate bugle. And right as I did that, Chad grabbed me and pulled me to the ground. And he was like, there's a bull down in that creek, and I think he saw us. <laughs> no. And I kind of put my head up just a smidge, and I seen them moving out. And there was a nice little five-point uh, black antler bull with some cows and, and a spike. And they were moving out. And I tried, I ran up the road and I tried to cut them off. And I got to within 40 as they were single filing by, but they weren't having any bit of us. They'd already uh, figured us out and the gig was up. And so that was uh, Sunday. It was the second day of season. And we went on to get on to some more elk that evening. And I hunted uh, after work throughout the week. And it was kind of just hit and miss. And. 
that following weekend, uh, Chad's brother, Carson Brown, uh, from Echo Archery and Sherwood Shafts, he came down to uh, join me on another elk hunt. And it's kind of the same same story. We, we were getting into elk that didn't have bulls with them. We were getting on cows and where we were hunting uh, in the uh, unit that is behind my house is the Tioga unit. And it's three points uh, bull or better. So you, you can't shoot cows or spikes. You have to shoot the, um, you can only hunt the raghorns or mature bulls. Um, so that, that makes it tough when you get on a herd of 12 or 14 animals and none of them are legal. Mm. And that, and that's kind of what was happening to us left and right. And we really, I don't think I ever heard a bugle until, man, I'd seem like, like around, like, I guess about when you said around the 6th or 7th of September, a couple weeks into the season, I didn't really even hear a bugle. Yeah. Yeah, and so that it was hot, tough. Well, that hot weather makes it tough, and and we've usually, you know, even by then the seventh, eighth. I mean, that bull I killed last year on the eighth, that was a satellite bull, you know, three fifteen satellite bull. The bulls, there's usually big bulls with the cows by then. You know, the first week you might see some little five points and stuff, but the area I hunts usually got a lot of big bulls in it. Well, this year. I mean, that bull I called in for my buddy, you know, what, three days ago, um, it was, there was three little three points and a couple spikes in running around this herd of 25 elk, you know, just having a good old time and no big bulls around. So it, uh, that weather, weather makes a big difference, I think, or maybe it was the eclipse. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering like. I know. I don't know. You know, I kept saying, "Did this eclipse mess all the animals up?" Uh, I, I, you know, that was my excuse. Like maybe they, maybe their two minutes of darkness uh, made them not go into the rut. Yeah, I, I, I would guess it'd be the weather, but I don't know. It seems like it just gets tougher every year. You know, you got yeah, a lot of guys recall, grinding out for twenty or you know twenty plus days. You know, it's you look at that. You know, Adam Greentree, I think he's got a big thing on Instagram. He hunted 22 days straight, you know, just grinding and grinding and grinding before he, you know, and that's guys hunting with compounds, you know, they can shoot 60, 70 and, and be done. So it, it's a, just a yeah. grind, man, no matter what, it's a grind. And then when you get 14, 15 days of just balmy weather, hmm, makes it tough. Yeah. Yeah, I had a buddy that had had the Walla Walla tag, which takes like like eighteen points yeah. or sixteen points to get, and he hunted for twenty two days yeah. straight, and he grinded it out, and never got an opportunity, and came home without an elk. Yeah, I talked to him too. He was pretty frustrated. Yeah. I talked to him on his way home. Yeah, Tony Run. Yeah. yeah, but you know, I mean, this week it might be just nuts over there. You know, last few days it's just tough. I've I've hunted him. Uh, in the Cascades here where I live, it's just tough hunting. It's like hunting where you're at, but there's only like 10 elk to every 150 you guys have. You know, it's just, there's so few of elk. And I have a good buddy of mine who's just a hunting machine and he's killed quite a few big ones and he kind of knows the rope. So a few years ago, I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to hunt the Cascades. And, and I hunted the whole season. I had a bull bugle one day. We called him in. It was a five point. And he jumped the string 28 yards. I was shooting a longbow, 
he whirled and my arrow just like glanced off his front shoulder, like front on, you know, like right in the shoulder bone. It just hit him, basically fell out and that was it. And then I called in a, that was on September 8th. I think I called in a bull for my brother, a spike on the 21st. And then I called another bull in silent on the 25th and I hunted the whole season and that was it. And then, and then a week after season, we have some property out by my place here and there's a big meadow and when the elk are rut, they usually show up there and no kidding a week after season, my brother drives out there and he said, Hey, guess what's standing out in the meadow? You know, it just happened a week later, you know, and I kept, I had buddies hunting over East and they were like, it's gonna, it's, it's, you know, get over here, get over here. And I'm like, man, there's some giant bulls here. I've been chasing them all month. I'm like, I'm going to do it. Like I'm, I'm sticking it out. I'm going to get a few good days in here. And it just never, ever happened. Yeah. You know, I, and I, I tell my, I was telling my uh, hunting partner, I was like, if people are saying it's happening, then you're too late. If you're not there, you, you got to be out there when it happens, when they're rough, when, when that light switch flicks. And so you, you keep telling yourself, you know, just keep grinding because that light switch is going to flick on you while you're out there and they're going to start screaming in every nook and cranny and, and the woods are going to go berserko and, and it, it often does, but it just didn't happen really that much at all this year. I, um, yeah, I, I remember like five years ago, a year just like this where the season ended like usually the 20, what, 2nd, 3rd, 4th of September. And October 1st, there was just rubs all over the woods, and the bulls were absolutely screaming. Uh, my brother-in-law had a had an Eastern Oregon rifle tag for, like, October 18th, and he killed this big 350 bull with his rifle that was bugling and breeding cows. Yeah. yeah. Um, my, ne- so, my nephew, um, he killed a big bull on the general whatever cascade elk season it usually opens around the mid end october and the bulls were just screaming out there on our, on that property i mean they just bulls were rutting everywhere yeah and that was you know five or six years ago so unfortunately i guess you know that happens sometimes and with this hot weather i think didn't it didn't help things but you know should have probably held out because probably be calling in big bulls right now if we were still hunting <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I I'd planned my uh my rut vacation as I like to call it. My uh I usually get about a 10-day stretch where I get to go hunt elk wherever I want to. And this year, uh I I planned a wilderness backpacking hunt with uh three other friends. Uh my buddy Nick Prescott and then the Brown brothers, Chad and Carson Brown. And we had planned to uh, go up into the Eagle Caps and backpack hunt elk. And we chose the third week because usually the third week is, you know, it's when that light switch flicks and they, and they really start to get going. And it's about a 12-hour drive for me to get over the, into that country. So I, I didn't get a chance to scout it. I'd wanted to, but I had that antelope tag and that kind of um, took up my time. To, to do that hunt where I didn't get to go do the scouting for the elk. And so I went up into this wilderness uh, with, with my buddies, uh, sight unseen. Um, we'd gotten some information from a good friend of mine and 
we're you know just kind of going in there blind hoping for the best and so we got to this trailhead that was supposed to be kind of on the lowdown and there was i think there was 12 rigs with with uh horse trailers Yikes. and a couple more trucks and so I called up my friend and he said, "Yeah, I uh, guess it's not that's not Trailhead's not a secret no more. I wouldn't go in there. That's too many people." And uh, I'm I'm new to wilderness hunting, so I was kind of like, "Well, I guess we'll just go to the next." He he recommended another spot, so we went over there and it was the same same story. And we went on to the next trailhead and it was the same story. And then we go to this next trailhead and it's like a 20 some mile drive through gravel to get up to it. And we get up there, and there's like two rigs, and we're like, "Well, you know, this is better than all the other ones. We'll just go ahead and go in here." And we hadn't had a chance to even look at it on Google Earth. We're just this was like Plan Z, <laughs> and I should have got on the maps and done a little research uh, before we hiked in there because there was another trailhead close by that took you to the same spot. <laughs> Uh, which is probably why there wasn't anybody parked at the one you went down. Right. So we hiked this five miles, six miles uh, up to uh, where these springs are. And the funny thing is, is we seen a little elk sign right around uh, the first half mile. And then we didn't see nothing until we got up or we didn't see nothing. We get up there and there's camps just everywhere. Mm. And, like I say, I'm kind of new to wilderness hunting, and I understand that guys with horses and mules have got to have a place to keep them. But it was kind of frustrating to see these big meadows with these electric fences around them with their with all their stock in there. Because it seemed to me like that was like where the elk would want to be. But these guys were camped right in the meadows with their stock. And so, I mean, I understand, but... It, it was a little frustrating because in my mind, I'm thinking I would never camp there. I would camp away from that, and that's where the elk would want to hang out. Yeah. So it's a, it was a learning curve, and we got to talking with – I think there were seven camps in there. And once you hike that far back in, it's such huge country. I mean, it's, you know, it's giant country. I was totally overwhelmed. You could glass like a basin over and and then realize that it's like – 4,000 vertical feet drop and it'd be like a day and a half hike to get over there. You weren't going to just spot some elk over in the next canyon over and go hunt them. Yeah. So we decided to go ahead and stay for a couple of days and try to make the best of it. And all the other hunters were telling us that the wolves had chased the elk off and there was no elk around. And I'd hoped that they were being dishonest because, I mean... How could, why would they all be there if there was no elk? Well, there was no elk there. <laughs> I mean, there was. They were just we, camping. Maybe they were hunting for wolves. Oh, we can't hunt for wolves yet in Oregon. But Right. So they, they all kind of felt like they, they'd gotten so far back there, and they'd all uh, talked to several of the guys who'd been hunting there for years, and they'd, all, they'd had such good luck in this area that they were just camping and hoping that the elk were going to come back. And that nice. was their hope. Mm. Um, on, on, we stayed for three days and on the third, 
or I know on the second, uh, I don't know if it was the second or the third day. I think it was the third day we broke up and we all just tried to look for elk sign. And I ended up meeting back up with Chad and me and Chad cut a single elk track. And we decided to follow, we were following this elk track and the elk track brought us to his brother, uh, Carson and Carson was actually on that elk. <laughs> so we hung back about, I don't know, we were 60 yards and we sat there and we kind of were like, well, we should probably try to get behind Carson. And since it's a single elk, just do a little cow calling, a little break some brush and, and hope that we can suck this elk. And the, the unit we're in is any elk. You can shoot any elk. And so maybe we could suck this elk in to Carson so he can get a shot. And so we followed back and started doing a little calling, and I seen Carson draw his bow back. And I, I was like, all right, he's going to get a shot. And then he let down. And then he drew his bow back again, and then he let down. And then I heard the elk running our way, and I look up, and I see this nice little four-point bull running through the timber. And so I put Chad up in front of me, and I fell back uh, it fell further back and I started calling and I was kind of on the edge of this burn and the, I, I see Chad draws bow back and I'm like, all right. And then he lets down the bull just kind of went right through his shooting lane. It didn't stop. And I look over to my left and now the bull is closest to me. He, he looks like he's about 20 and he's broadside and he's looking around. And so I was like, Oh, it's my turn. So I knocked an arrow, and I had to step out behind this tree, and I drew back. It's kind of a fast shot. Chad said that the, my form looked great, <laughs> and it, he's, from, from his view, he was like, he thought that you know it was a done deal. And I watched that arrow just barely miss him. It hit right under the front leg. It was a perfect line. I was like, oh, it just looks so good. And then it just dived and it was a downhill shot and it just missed him by a millimeter. It just went right under his brisket. Oh, man. Oh, man. I I just, I wanted to cry because, you, you know, here in Oregon, you grind, even if it's, you get your shot on the first day or the last day, it seems like I, I'm usually good for one shot, maybe two. But I feel I feel like usually I get that one opportunity, and when I blow it, uh, you know there it goes. Yeah. And so my heart sunk, and he ran off, and and I started calling some more, and he came back, and I looked over at Chad, and I'm like, Chad, he's he's coming back. Uh, I felt like I had already blown it. Uh, let let Chad get another, get him an opportunity. So I put Chad uh, in front of me, and I start heading up the hill like I, like the, like I was an elk leaving, and I start running up the hill cow calling, and the bull came right back in, but just didn't present a shot to Chad. He just about uh, gave him a shot, and then he whirled and, and ran off. And so I was kind of pretty upset, and later that night, we were up at the spring getting water. And it was dark, pitch black, and some other hunters came up to the spring to get some water. And we were BSing with them, and the guy seen my longbow, and he said, hey, man, did did you miss a bull today? And I looked at him like, huh? 
He goes, did you miss a, a four-point bowl today? And I said, I did. He goes, oh, we were up uh, uh, up above you like 400 yards away, and we watched the whole thing play out. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, great. Had an so audience. That was, yeah, I had an audience. So at that point, we, we got up the next morning and looked around and said, hey, this is, you know, uh, it was definitely a famine, and we were looking for a feast. So we yeah. – we, you guys we, probably we ha- thought that was just a just a bull, probably Roman country too. You know, he probably two miles away the next day. You know, he was looking for the el- other elk too. I'm sure. I, I think you're exactly right. He was he was on the cruise, so we backed out of that spot, and we decided to try a, a, a totally different wilderness area, um, something that was not going to be as gigantic. Um, yeah, yeah, little lower elevation. I think we were up at 8,000. We were looking at maybe drop a little elevation. And so we, we drove like an hour. We, we hiked the five miles out of there and we went and, uh, had a lunch somewhere and regrouped and we decided that we'd break off into two groups. Um, so me and my buddy, Nick would go in on one side of this wilderness and, uh, the Brown boys would go in on the other side and we, we probably, we realized we probably would see each other again, um, but it was b- better off trying to uh, locate some elk. Four guys that didn't have anything lined up was a little much. And the side that Carson and Chab were going in on, Carson had actually killed a bull over there the year before. And so, obviously, he was excited to get back into uh, the spot where he had filled his tag last year. And we were going into uh, a spot a spot I picked on the map. And so we got in there and it was like two and a half miles in before we cut any elk sign. But then we got onto hot elk sign and I followed into this like ring up spot. I found all these wallows and rubs and we got on the elk or, Oh no, we got on the elk sign and I, I did a location bugle and I got uh, an answer immediately but it seemed like it was a, a quite a ways away. And we decided that we would try to run and gun those elk down. It was uh, in the evening, and we'd been looking for the elk all day. Well, we got another answer in the opposite direction that I realized right out the gate uh, were hunters. I, I could tell by the bugle it was one of those... Uh, Flutie uh, McFlutie ones? Yeah, the Primos blue mouth reed, blue uh, rubber uh, external reed, uh, Piccolo Pete is what my buddy calls it. <laughs> do 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 do. Yeah. And so uh, we were like, all right, we'll, we'll just start mobbing. Well, we're mobbing, and we're actually on these elk. We're actually on their tracks. When they left this area where they where they where they uh, responded to my bugle from, we actually were on their signs. So not only could we have them locate, but we were they'd come from where we were at. So as we're on this track, I know that they're up there, you know, whatever a mile in front of me because they'd already located, and we're on fresh tracks. And there's rubs like every every a couple hundred yards, this bull was rubbing. So it's kind of exciting. I'm fo- we're following the sign, and and 
these guys though behind us, they just keep calling and they're hot on our trail. And at some point I, I, I told my buddy, I said, we're going to have to stop and go back and, and turn these guys around or it's going to be a disaster when we catch up to the elk. So we turned around and we went back and uh, I cracked a bugle. They bugled. I, I, I guess I deliberately called them in because I thought that was the fastest way that I could <laughs> that I could get these guys redirected. And they came flying in. It was a father and son, uh, real nice guys. And uh, I convinced them that you know they were they the who they were following was me. And I got them redirected, and then we got back on the sign. And I was hesitant to bugle anymore because I didn't want to get these guys back on my track. So we just kept following the elk sign. And once I about we got about an hour down the trail, I located again. The bull located right away. I looked up the hill from where I heard it, and I could see them on this open face. And the bull was a great big bull. And he had a pretty good sized herd of cows, and there was a, another smaller bull, and I think a, there was a, it was a big group of elk, calf spikes, and they there were there was like a um, bluff. There were there's bluffs, then they were up above the bluff, and we're losing light. It's gonna be dark in the next I don't know twenty minutes, and I'm thinking there's no way we're gonna get to those elk. There's just no way. So w- we start running towards them, and lo and behold. There was this like shelly, um, like rock shoot in between the bluffs, and the elk were single filing down it, coming our way. Oh, nice! And they were coming into this burn. Uh, a lot of this wilderness is burned, and and the the burn was probably I'm going to guess seven eight years old because the rebroad trees are like ten feet tall in it, and so they're they're filing into this thick rebroad with all this downfall and the bull, the big bull, I can see him raking this tree. He's about 40, 50 yards out. He's raking, he's bugling. And I'm trying to just crawl over deadfall to get to him. And at some point the wind shifts and that bull takes off running and I hear the elk charging and running and I chase him, and I stop and I start doing, uh, I think the elk nut refers to it as contact buzz. Uh, some guys call it like an estrus buzz. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a very vibrate-y, uh, uh almost sounds like a bird uh, cow call. It's, it's like this type of real excited type cow calls. And I've had really good luck in, in getting the elk interested in me using these sounds. It's they're just kind of kind of like a location. And right away I hear charging in the brush coming right to me and so i get down and i knock an arrow and lo and behold it's this little calf and she shows up right into my shooting lane at 10 feet and she looks at me and she cocks her head a few times and she's not sure what i am and then she just walks a little bit further and then this nice big cow comes right behind her and stops in the same spot, you know, three yards, 10 feet. And she turns the bull bugles up the hill. She turns and looks back and I just couldn't help myself. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Oh <laughs> uh, man. I, uh, 
I I drew back and uh, uh, let her have it, and it it my arrow just came right out of my bow and just instantly was going right through her. You know, it just like hot butter, and she took off running up towards that straight. It, we're on a straight up and down hillside, also it's really steep, and then there's that rock shoot between the um, bluffs, and she goes running up those bluffs super fast and then all of a sudden she stops and and she starts doing a couple little circles and she slips and then just goes tumbling down like she went 100 yards and she tumbled like 75 yards back down the mountain nice so kind of like you there was no blood trail to fall i didn't have to follow a blood trail like i literally watched her run a hundred yards and then tumble 75 yards down the mountain. And there she is like 25 yards from me. Uh, you know, she died instantly. I mean, she died on her feet running. Uh, she was done. And, uh, I was, I was totally pumped up and my arrow went about five feet past her and then just kind of ran out of momentum and just dropped. And it was just laying there in the dirt covered in blood. That's awesome. Uh, it, it, I mean, I, I I told several friends that all I want is a really close shot on an elk this year, you know, to make just a perfect shot to get my confidence up. I didn't care if it was a cow or a spike or what it was. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big horn hunter and I'm super blessed to have, uh, have this elk. And, and so, uh, my buddy Nick, uh, was back behind me a ways and he showed up and, he was like, oh, man, that was so close, you know, and I got a big smile and and he was like, what? And and I kind of was nodding behind me and he's like, what? And I, she's like 15 yards <laughs> behind me and he was like, what's up? He's like, he's like, yeah, they went up there and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of nodding. It's it's about dark. And, and I was like, uh, nod again. And he looked over and he seen the elk and he just grabbed me and gave me a big old hug. And he was like, oh, my God, you did it. So, awesome. yeah, it was pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, then the work began. And so I, I broke her down, got her quartered up, and we were looking on the GPS, and we we're about two and a half miles uh, to the truck. And I had, uh, I didn't have my full bivy gear with me, but I had enough gear with me to like stay a night. So I had, you know, I don't know, 20 pounds of gear with me already. Uh, in, in the in my uh, pack, in my EXO pack, so we got her all broken up, and my buddy Nick, he had some serious uh, blisters that he had uh, uh, got on his feet. Uh, I don't know. He's got some issue with his footwear. He needs to get worked out. Yeah. So yeah, I know you're listening, Nick. Burn those boots and get some new ones, buddy. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so I put a front shoulder on him and, uh, I put a, a hind quarter and I put the back straps and tenderloins and neck meat and rib meat and all, all the extra on me. And it was, it was a little more than I wanted to pack, to be honest. It was, it was a heavy load. Oh yeah. That's a lot, man. It, it was, it was a lot more than I wanted to pack, but I was really paranoid about um, getting the, the meat out. I really wanted to get it out and get to a, a cooler as soon as I could. It was still hot then, wasn't it? 
It, it was. It was what, still hot what then. Date, what date was it when you killed yours? Um, it was. I think it was the. Let me see. I think. I think it was on the thirteenth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was the thirteenth. It might have been the. Tw- it was the twelfth. Yeah, it was the twelfth. The night of the twelfth. That's what it was. The night of the twelfth. And the temperature actually dropped that night. Late that night, it was the was the beginning of the fi- the finally the cool weather actually came that night. Thank God. Yeah. So this is uh, where it gets real interesting. I'm I'm gonna blast uh, my hunting partner again, Mr. Prescott. <laughs> uh, and, and it's my own fault too. So we climbed. We we get her all broken up, and it's pitch black out. And we're we're crawling through this deadfall, and and we get down to the trail, and I've got a really good sense of direction, and and so does Nick, but earlier uh, in the week he had caught me trying to go the wrong way, and he was like, "You're going the wrong way." So when he said, "You're going you're going the wrong way," I th- I thought again, no, I'm not. No, the truck's this way. And he goes, "No, it's this way," and instead of looking at the GPS. I just, I just was like, okay. So we go hiking a mile and a half. I I shouldn't even be admitting this. (laughs) We go a mile and a half in the wrong direction. And I've got like, and I've got like 90 pounds on my back. And, and there, and this trail's got all these Creek crossings and, and it's not a well, well used, uh, wilderness trail. There's been no stock on it or anything. So there's like trees down oh. that you're, cr- and so we get up to this spot where I recognize where we're at because we had taken an elk nap that afternoon. And this is where we took our elk nap because I, I recognized, I was like, wait a minute, this is where we had our elk nap, you, you know? And he goes, no, it's not. And I pulled the GPS out, and I'm like, yeah, it is, dude. We're going the wrong way. And I looked at him with some, with some anger. <laughs> and he looked at me like, oh, dude, calm down, settle down. <laughs> and I think I, I think I was probably turning like bright red. <laughs> like it's, it's like eleven o'clock at night, and I'm, I'm like moaning and groaning with all this weight on my back. <laughs> And he's just, and he's got this front shoulder on his, and and I'm, and he's like, it's okay, it's all right. And I'm like, it's not all right. <laughs> so, um, uh, two, here it is. Two hours later, we get the first load out, and I'm super paranoid because the other half of the elk, I, I, I should have moved it away from the gut pile, but I left it bagged up next to the gut pile. Mm-hmm. on on some deadfall and the whole time i'm thinking wolves coyotes bears you know because we've seen wolf sign in there and i'm thinking that the rest of my elk is, is being is being chewed on um so i was really paranoid to get her out well the good thing that we had going was the temperature was dropping dramatically i could i could just feel it it was falling out and i think we went from 50 to 30 degrees that that evening wow. that night but I I was not going to leave the rest of that elk out there till morning. I I wanted to get right back to it. So, so we went back, dropped uh, half off, put it in the cooler, and went marching back in. 
And we didn't get that elk completely out until I think it was 3.30 in the morning. Yikes. And I figured we got up the day before at 4 in the morning, you know, and then we got done at 3.30, 4 in the morning. So it was like a 24-hour that we'd been awake. And I figured we had about 19 miles on our boots. Yikes. A lot of those pack and weight too. Yeah. A lot of those pack and weight. And so she was, she's uh, going to taste amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be the best elk I've ever eaten. Right. And Cause she was, that's a wood arrow elk too, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was my first, uh, first time sticking the wood arrow through anything. Uh, I'm totally love the Sherwood shafts. Um, they, they, uh, I mean, no yeah, the, problem. They, the first blacktail I killed with a wood arrow, I think every package I wrote on there, wood arrow buck, you know. I was like, yes. oh, yeah. So every time I oh, got yeah. it out, I'm like, yeah, honey, no big deal. I got this one with a wood arrow, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I had some some I had some guys uh were like, You killed a, a a cow way back in the wilderness? Oh, I would never do that. We we I would I would hold up for a big bull if I was way back in a wilderness, and I said, "Really? How many cows have you killed with a longbow and a wood arrow?" <laughs> and the guy was like, his eyes got big, and he was like, "Oh, that's the real deal. That's awesome. No, that's that's legit. I I take that back." Yeah, and even even a rough pack like that, it hurts for a while, but yeah, you don't you know, the rest of the year you think about it, you know. No, it was it, it does it makes it makes for. Uh, it's as a part of the experience and I remember i listened to uh it goes on that rich outdoors podcast that roy roth he's always kind of like a hero of mine you know that big dude oh dude roy roth was yeah. the man he talked about hunting moose up there in alaska and how it was you know most guys don't shoot them if they're not right by the raft or whatever and he's like man i'll shoot him five miles he's like yeah i have to pack meat for a week but i don't care he's like you don't think about that the rest of the year you just look at those horns you know eat the meat so I always think about that now when I'm packing. I'm like, oh, this is nothing, you know. Yeah, dude, I seen a, I seen like a video where Roy Roth, uh, he's got like a pack on. I don't know if they're packing meat or not, but he's got like a full bivy pack on. Yeah, I think they're just bivying. He's got the full bivy pack and his recurve, and then he's got Cameron Haynes on his shoulder holding him and packing him across the river. <laughs> yeah, the guy was an animal. That guy was an animal, man. Uh, definitely, it's uh, it's sad that he's gone. I, I actually got to meet him in person. Uh, a seminar he gave in Springfield at the Bow Rack. He he was uh, not only a stud, but he was one of the funniest guys ever. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he was he he was legit. Um, so he was def uh, he, he was that was a big loss to the bow hunting community for sure. Yeah, so elk season. I'm used to grinding just to the very very end you know, uh, year in and year out and to be done early. I, I didn't know what to do with myself. I, I was just like, man, um, I'm so excited. But at the same time, like, I feel like I didn't get into any of the screaming bulls that I normally get into. I didn't get, I felt like I was missing something. And so, you know, I, we, we got back out there, uh, uh, a little, a couple more days with my buddy, uh, trying to find an elk for him and the elk just really weren't responding we got back on that herd bull and he was in the meadow by himself and i threw every elk call i could at him and he would just feed and he was out there like 200 yards in this giant meadow by himself 
uh, just didn't care. And we just really, uh, we were unable to, to really get back on anything and, uh, headed back to the coast. And, uh, I continued to go back out a few times with some friends and I think what season ends on Sunday. So I'm going to go out this weekend and try to call some bulls in for some friends and try to get a little, uh, more elk action, uh, to, you know, get, get myself through for the year. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's bittersweet kind of when you get them early, this is the second year in a row I've killed one before my birthday. My birthday's on the 10th. So yeah, you kind of, you're, you're glad to be done. The pressure's off, but then you're still wanting to be hunting. So that's, that's the beauty of the trad bow. Usually that doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, I've exactly. gone many, many a years hunting the full shoot a couple of years ago. I think I hunted 45 days nothing i mean it just happens oh, so i've i've hunted many uh 30 day seasons and putting in you know 28 I, I usually i usually will put in 28 of the 30 and when i say that so, a lot of those are after work but i work in the woods so i can go right from work into elk hunting yeah and then and then i always have my 10 day stretch and then i have three day weekends so i usually get like 18 full days i'm pretty fortunate and so I'm used to just grinding and grinding and grinding, and that just wasn't the case this year. And and uh, I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's it's awesome. Uh, I, I we've got a couple more days to get out there and hear some bugles, and and hope hope to have a couple more heavy packs for some friends. I, that's the hope. And and but I, I'll be honest, I'm I've got my head wrapped all the way around blacktail deer already. Yeah. Yeah, it's time. I'll tell yeah. you, after, you know, I love elk hunting. There's just kind of nothing like it. But I, I'm all, I'm not just that, you know, I, I'm always divided. And hunting those late hunts, man, it's, I get so tired. Because I, I take off the whole season usually. You know, wife's always pissed at me. You know, family, I'm, you know, I'm gone. I'm tired. You know, the days are so long. And I, you know, you're getting up at four in the morning, four thirty to hike an hour to get to where you want to be. And I'm, I'm just not good at taking naps. I try, try. So I usually don't get many naps in them by the time I get back to camp and eat something and go to bed. I mean, I'm only getting a few hours of sleep every night and you put that in there for 20 days in a row and you're just beat. Whereas those late hunts, I can hunt my hunt all day long and it gets dark at like five, you know? And so then you go, go back, make a good meal, go to sleep. Like I'm all rested. It's just totally different hunting. The weather's nice and cool. You don't have to worry about, you know, hundred degree weather. It's snow and rain. And so I'm super pumped up. You know, the last couple of days I was over there, it started raining and I got out my wool shirt and I'm just like, Oh yeah, this feels good. Good, you know the, the fall is coming and then immediately i mean i almost left if i wouldn't have been helping everybody i was gonna drive over it's like 12 hours to where my i got a late archery deer tag this year and i got one of those uh lone wolf self climbers and uh i'm the first time i'm gonna try that this year but i thought man it'd be nice like i know right where i'm gonna put them because i've hunted this area a few years a couple years now but I'd like to go over there and trim the limbs off, you know? So when I get yeah. there and hunt, I don't have to mess with anything. I can just like, so I almost took off and drove 12 hours over there just to trim some trees and come back. But then I'm like, ah, I should be helping my brother and my buddy, you know, but, uh, I want to, you know, so it's, it's time for sure. Time. Yeah. I'm pumped about that lone wolf stand, man. Those things are just, 
they are sweet. I put it all together and it's so light, you know, it's so light, easy to pack. So I'm fired I've, up. I'm going to take that over there and rock that. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. I've got the, I've got the lone wolf, um, uh, uh, strap. What do you call it? Uh, hang on, hang on. Yeah. I got the lone wolf hang on with, with, uh, the climbing sticks and I love that thing. It's not only is it light, but it is so quiet and you, you can, you can fit it into any tree. It'll go into the most crookedest sideways tree. It's they're They're just such awesome stands. And yeah, it's crazy when you going from running and gunning and preparing yourself for these long sits. I, I enjoy both, but it's, it's like, uh, you have to like kind of mentally prepared to, to do these long sits. And, uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm just getting myself all jacked up and I've been listening to, um, the hunting beast podcast. It's a whitetail podcast. These guys are mobile tree stand hunters and they hunt a lot of public and they go in and just set up in a different tree every day. And I'm planning on, uh, my buddy, Jason Sankoviak, he hunts that exact same style. And we're going to get Jason on the podcast here in the next couple of weeks. And he's going to uh, totally break down this mobile tree stand hunting for you guys. Uh, he's got me hooked on it. I did it a little bit last year. And it kind of makes it fun because you're not just going back to that same stand all the time. You're going to you know, a new tree each time, and it makes it fresh. And Yeah, and, you can get on and, some fresh sign probably too. Yeah, I've always set mine up. You know, I've always had mine preset. You know, I set right. them up in the spring, spring, you know, I kind of leave mine up there. Probably, I don't know if you're supposed to or not, but a lot of mine I leave up. And so the same place, like I said, and there's times years ago, I got a self climber just to be like, well, you know, if they're not in this area, I can use it over here. But man, I, it was so loud when I put it up by the time I got it on the tree, I was just so frustrated. I didn't even hunt it. Cause I'm like, I just made, it sounded like I was just building a trailer you know clanking on metal and i'm just like what there's no not gonna be anything around i was so pissed because you know i spent like two hundred dollars on this stand you know and that was a long time ago i was like 17 years old you know i never even used that thing again so I put just putting this one together i haven't you know obviously used it yet got it up in a tree but it like you said the straps are money that everything's quiet you can tell everything was built by a bow yeah. owner, you know yeah i put a i put a few um permanent stands you know stand like not permanent but stands i i'll be setting up this week and i'll hunt those but then i like to have that mobile setup so i can just go hunt anywhere where i see fresh sign because you're kind of scouting as you're hunting you know you you get on that hot sign and you want to hunt it mm-hmm. um and so yeah i'm super pumped on some blacktails and and blacktail hunting is so um it's you know it's only found on the west coast where the blacktails are so i really look to the whitetail guys and i'm always researching what the whitetail guys are doing and when i say whitetail guys i'm not talking midwest cornfield soy soy field farm hunting i'm talking about the guys that are hunting the mountains yeah um hunting the public ground and these guys uh like dan infault from the hunting beast um, you know, if you guys are listening and you guys are uh, whitetail hunters or blacktail hunters or even tree stand hunting mule deer, um, these guys uh, are a wealth of knowledge and I highly recommend uh, looking into them. And then Jason Sankoviak at the, the Traditional Bow Hunting Wilderness Podcast. 
he um he is an absolute deer slayer he kills i don't know we'll we'll find he kills a lot of deer every year in multiple states and he uh hardly ever sits in the same tree twice and so yeah i'm excited to to go out and implement some of these strategies this year and 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 then uh we're plotting on our uh first my first whitetail hunt in idaho yeah. Um, ho- hoping that works out. We can get out and, and hunt with uh, Clay Hayes out in Idaho for some whitetails. Yeah. Isn't uh, Trent supposed to come down too? Isn't that? The, yeah. Trent uh, Wanger from uh, Wanger Bows. Yeah. I, and I, uh, I should be able to do it. I, was, I wasn't going to be able to, but since I got my elk early, I think, I think mama's going to still be around when I get back afterwards, hopefully. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a I've got a little bit of stuff I got to work I got to figure out with my work schedule. Um, so I'm I'm still hanging. I'm still on the fence. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty positive. Hopefully, it should work out. Uh, a- Andy Ponce, our good buddy from Addictive Archery, he's going on that hunt with us. Uh, Carson Brown, Echo Archery, Sherwood Shafts. I believe he's going. We're gonna have a heck of a trad uh camp it's gonna be sweet uh, teepees and loincloths it's gonna be awesome so, yeah he, <laughs> yeah hey. so trey wait trent wanger you better get your uh wood arrows and your loincloth ready for this hunt buddy <laughs> so uh let's go over our setup so i know you had a pass through and i had a pass through and um what weight are you shooting just for the guys on the podcast because that every time i listen to a podcast one of the other ones i always wonder you know like yeah. Guys forget to bring that up and I'm always like, I wonder yeah. cuz I've had enough shoulder issues. I don't shoot a lot of weight, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and and I uh, had a shoulder issue scare too and I I decided to back off on the weight and I'm a uh uh a student of Joel Turner. You know, he's uh, a mentor of mine and he's really helped my shooting uh tenfold and he's a big advocate of uh of not shooting a, a lot of bow weights you know be, be, to be real comfortable in your shot process so i'm shooting um i draw 29 and a half and i'm shooting 51 pounds at 29 and a half through a blacktail colombian longbow it's a hybrid longbow and i'm shooting a uh, Sherwood shaft. It's a 7580. It's cut uh, 30 and a half. And I've got a uh, Grizzly 155 left bevel, single bevel, uh, broadhead up front. And I run a four inch, four fletch, true flight uh, shield cut feathers on there and my total arrow weight is 625 wow we're pretty similar then my i'm shooting um blacktail 66 inch uh what is it an elite vl the one piece and recurve recurve, right and uh i'm also shooting sherwood shafts with uh 75 80s 30 minor 31 and a quarter and I'm shooting just 125s Wiki Eskimo on there with three five-inch shield cut feathers, and my bows, uh, the arrows are coming in. They're like six six thirty-two 
to 635 or something. I keep them all within a few grains. Helps to know the arrow guy. <laughs> and uh yeah. And so that's that's right where they're sitting and man, it, I was I was impressed with that one just blew right through there. And I'm only shooting well, I mean, I, what, what's the minimum in Oregon? Fifty pounds, I think. Yeah, fifty. We'll pounds. say fifty, but it's my my, my bow's forty eight at twenty eight. So, um, and, and you draw? Well, I usually draw about twenty seven and a half. So I'm probably, you know, probably only shooting forty seven pounds. But on the elk, if there's any police listening, I guess I draw back a little bit further. So yeah, you get excited. You get <laughs> yeah. excited on those elk I, and draw 29. I, I know, know you to do. draw 29 on the elk, but yeah, I mean it, but those, you know, those <laughs> bows, they shoot so fast, man. They just for a, a recurve and, uh, I've never had a penetration issue with the wood arrows and shooting. I don't, you know, I just listened to actually that track geeks one on my way back with Ed Ashby and I've always read all his stuff. Did have you listened to that podcast? I did. I did listen to that. Oh last... man, that is money. That guy is a, stud and he has oh. done so much and just researching arrow setups since and, and and so and, and and the exciting thing is it's going to continue it sounds yeah. like they're, they're putting together some kind of like um a non-profit just uh, for arrow research basically for right lethality right. and blah 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 it's and they're gonna, super and they're awesome. going to yeah, and they're going to test like all. They're going to go back and retest all the latest uh, mm-hmm. stuff since the studies were were kind of dated. He, they're going to get their hand. It's going to be like a consumer reports for for arrows and yeah. broadheads. I mean, that and guy so, he killed. What did he say? He has a longbow that he made himself, and ninety pounds. A, ninety pounds. He had a name for it or something, but he killed three hundred big game animals with yeah. the same bow. And Betsy another, or something. Yeah, another thing he said was he doesn't like on a deer, he'll just shoot them in the shoulder and drop them. Yeah. Like that's ah, crazy. But but you know, so I always I always have struggled with do I need to go, you know, I should be shooting uh super light carbon, you know, all backed up with a super heavy tip, you know, but but man, every time I shoot something with the wood arrows, it works just fine. So, and I don't like to change anything. So well, I'm always kind of like in between whether I should go forward to center or or what. But we'll see. Next yeah. year, with my shoulders kind of fixed, I was thinking I could maybe get a different bow, bump up, you know, five, six, seven pounds in bow weight, shoot, still shoot a wood arrow, bump up to like a one ninety grizzly or something, and then I'd have a little more forward to center. And I could shoot a similar kind of setup, but I probably won't yeah. change it. Well, looking at his, looking at his study though, the high FOC has its merit for sure. But it seems like that there's a uh, bone breaking threshold of what he calls around 650, yeah. 650 grains. Mm-hmm. And he said it, did, it didn't really matter what your FOC or what your arrows were made out of, as long as your ferrule was slightly larger than your arrow shaft. Mm-hmm. And you were at that 650 threshold that you were going to have that uh, optimal bone splitting and, and running a single bevel yeah. um, head that was 2.6 to one ratios. Oh, what he yeah. what he came up with, and so I'm really close to that um, to that math. And I, I've thought about just trying to bump my arrow weight up, just like like you said, go from the 155 Grizzly to like the 185 or 190, mm-hmm. just to get be right at that 650 because with those studies. You know they're legit, 
And uh, well, yeah, think, he was breaking with a forty-pound recurve. He said, "If, if yeah. any of you guys haven't listened to it, you got to get on there and listen to it. it it's the guy's just sharp." But with a forty-pound recurve, he was breaking water buffalo ribs at twenty yards. With yeah, a, with I don't remember a six hundred fifty grain arrow or whatever. Grain arrow. Yeah, yeah, forty-pound recurve. Yeah. So. Pretty, yeah. pretty awesome stuff. And, and like I said, it's going to be good. So I'm always back and forth, but I usually don't end up changing it. So, <laughs> yeah, if, if and it's, it's hard, broke, you know, the wood arrows, the wood arrows are nice. Yeah. They're, uh, it, I've said it on here quite a few times, but I'm super pumped on the wood arrows that I, I actually was shocked. I did a lot of stumping and they held up really well, a lot better than I ever expected. Uh, stump shooting with them. Um, they're, they're so much quieter than a carbon and aesthetically, I mean, man, I mean, do they look good? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so that's, uh, you know, for me, I, I, I like shooting a, a, a gorgeous bow with some gorgeous arrows. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Might as well. You only live yeah. once. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I, I was super happy with the way my, uh, my setup performed obviously a, f- a full pass through it, uh, and you got the same thing. And neither of us had to blood trail, so uh, you yeah, know it's it it's pretty it's pretty awesome. So definitely a big shout out to Sher- Sherwood Shafts for sure. Yeah, addictive archery, Andy. Andy Ponce. Andy, I kind of I kind of dropped a bomb on Andy. You know he's super busy always. You know fletching arrows. He got always behind, and everybody's jamming him right before season. And I thought I had enough. You know I had like. I just kind of hadn't really looked at my arrow box. I've been shooting. I don't shoot groups and stuff, so I shoot kind of a couple arrows, you know. Well, then I get to where it's time to glue on my broadheads and shoot them all out, you know, 40 and do my little number system. And I'm like, crap, I only have like nine arrows. Like, that's, I mean, right, I only need one, but what if I break some, you know, that's not enough. So I kind of called Andy like last minute. Like it was like two weeks before season. He's like, gosh, dang it, Robert. And uh, he came through, man. He, I went down there the few days before I left, and he had some more arrows for me. So thanks, thanks to him. Yeah, we're going to get Andy on the podcast really soon, and we're going to get the Sherwood Shafts guys uh, on here really soon too. Yeah, so Andy, Andy's over over still elk hunting too with Brian, my buddy Brian. So hopefully he's having some luck over there. Yeah, he's out grinding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think they got snow over there, so. Yeah, oh that, yeah. That that ought to make it interesting for yeah. all those guys. Yeah, so that's awesome. Well, yeah, we've got we've got some a lot of really good guys lined up. Uh so you guys don't give up on us. We do once again we apologize <laughs> for the the little bit of a delay, but I, I promise uh we've got a lot of good stuff coming uh down the pipe. Uh we're really excited to uh uh get all these guys on the podcast and um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, list them all, but, um, we're in contact with some super good people and I think you guys are, uh, really going to enjoy it all. And also just, uh, reiterate that, uh, our elk nut giveaway, we will be getting a hold of never lost in the woods. And the guy you tagged was elk newbie. And we've got some, uh, elk nut products for you guys. And we will send you guys a private message and get that stuff out to you guys. We appreciate the support. Uh, thanks again to, to Paul Medell. And like I said, we're going to get Paul on here again soon. So that's, you got anything else, Robert? 
Oh, I think that's it, man. It's been, it's been a good year. So keep it up. Good luck to everybody out there. I know a lot of the back east guys, whitetail season's just opening. and Yeah. Uh, we, shoot straight. Yeah, we, we promise a bunch of uh, uh, deer hunting action coming your way. Uh, I think today's the first day of fall. And, you know, right when it's come at the end of October, you can just smell it in the air. And I, I'm pumped for that, that time of year to come. But right now it's time to get out and start scouting and prepping trees for blacktails and uh, just uh, seeing what's out there. I'm, I'm excited. Heck yeah. Right on, man. Awesome, man. Well, uh, once again, go ahead and uh, check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, TuneIn, Blueberry. Check us out on our website, tradquest.com. Yeah, I know our website sucks, but I promise we're gonna <laughs> we're, we're gonna get that thing rolling this uh, this this winter. Also, I mean, this is just a hobby for us, and uh, we're we're doing the best we can with what we've got. And we, we super uh, uh, want to give a big thanks again to all the support. Uh, we appreciate the listeners. We wouldn't be doing it uh, if it weren't for you guys. So uh, thanks again. And uh, that's a wrap. <laughs>